Believe it or not, we're not going to uh, preach from the book of Luke this morning. Uh, for those of you who have just been saved in the last month or so, you probably didn't even know there was another book of the Bible outside of Luke. Uh, but we are just so blessed to have with us this morning Brenda Salter McNeil. Uh, we have had a partner. Amen. We, all, we love her here. We love her here. We love you. We love you so much. Uh, we have been partnering with her the last two years as she's been a consultant. Uh, helping us really lay the foundation for reconciliation ministry, and that's really coming into place, and it's an exciting thing. Uh, we are, have extended this relationship for another year, and uh, one of the things I always like to do when she comes up here is to have her preach, because I'll tell you, she is one of my all-time favorite preachers. This woman is anointed by God. I just love the way she delivers the word. So would you please give, give a warm Woodland Hills welcome to Brenda, Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil. Love you, sister. Be anointed. Have fun. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, God bless you and good morning. It's an honor to be here this morning. I love your pastor. I love this church. And I really do. It's my joy to be a partner with you and what God has called you to. So anybody want to pray with me? Anybody want to pray with me? If you do, I believe this, and this is something that I am starting to really believe in my personal life as well as in my preaching ministry. The power of life and death is in our tongue, and that God has given us the ability to ask for things in prayer, but to declare some things in prayer. So if you have your Bibles physically with you, I invite you to grab it for a minute. Amen. What makes me different is that I love the Word of God. I'm not the best preacher in the world. There are people who can preach me under the table. But I tell you what, I honor and love the revealed Word of God. From Genesis to Revelations, this is what changes my life. And this is what changes our life. So let's declare some things. Would you stand, grab your Bible, and I'm going to give us an affirmation of faith to declare. And if you don't have a Bible, it's in your heart. Just kind of make believe and, you know, put your hand in the air or whatever. But would you repeat after me? This is my Bible. God's holy word. It's a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my pathway. It shows me where I am. And it shows me which way to go. I'm about to receive the immutable, the indisputable, the incorruptible, the indestructible Word of God. I want to be changed. I need to be changed. And I'm going to be changed in Jesus' name. I will never be the same again. Now shake your heads and shake your Bibles and say, never, 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 never. Because the word of God abides in me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the living word. And thank you that you have given us your written word. Thank you, Lord God, that we are transformed by it. So, Lord, according to your word, we present ourselves as living sacrifices this day holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual act of worship. And now that we're here, Lord God, we declare as a family of God together that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Hallelujah. You change us because we've gathered in this place. This is how you make us new. 
and we give ourselves to you to do that today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that your word never returns to you void. It never returns back empty. It always accomplishes what you sent it forth to do. And so now, Lord God, accomplish your good purpose in this place and in every person under the sound of my voice, for I ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, if you'll continue to stand, let's hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. This morning, I'm preaching from John chapter 2, St. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And this is what the Word of God says there. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why, have, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Please be seated in his presence. What to do when the wine runs out? That's what I thought I'd call this sermon, and there's a part of me that still does, but after preaching this sermon, someone came up to me and said, you know, your other title that you thought you might call it might just work, and it's this, just do it. I'm here to tell you this morning, my friends, that there'll come a time in every person's life when the wine runs out. You know, when things don't have the same luster, the same appeal, the same excitement, the same joy, the same life force that it used to have. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're a Christian and you got saved. You gave your heart to God with great enthusiasm, great zeal, great passion, and you've lived for the Lord a while now, and it's just hard to feel excited about it. You thought it was going to be so radical and different, and you still have problems and things don't always go your way, and so for you, you feel a little bit like the wine has run out. It's not all that you thought it was going to be. Maybe for you, it's in your marriage, and you had hoped that marriage would be more than you're experiencing it to be. Yeah, you're committed, and you're going to stay there, but somehow or other, the wine has run out. It's not quite as exuberant, not quite as life-giving as you'd hoped for. I don't know. It could be your job. 
You have worked to get to the top of the heap. You have climbed the corporate ladder and you are there. But now that you're there and you are at the top and you're able to see all that happens at the top and you got money, but you feel empty and you realize it wasn't all it was cracked up to be, that somehow the striving was better than the achieving because it feels kind of empty up there. It's lonely at the top. The hours are long and the payoff is low and you're wondering, is this all that this was about? Is there more to this than, than, more to this than what I'm experiencing? I don't know, maybe for you it's being a parent and you longed for it and you now have children and you love them and you wouldn't want anything to happen to them, but boy, are you tired. And on some level it feels like the idea of this was great, but boy, between laundry and this and that and all the other things that it requires to make this house run, the wines run out. It could be that as a church, you've heard sermons that made you believe and you heard a call to reconciliation and being a bridge and we're gonna be all that in a bag of chips and so you come and you enjoy it, but on some level, this call to reconciliation was harder than we thought, it takes longer than we anticipated, say amen somebody. And for some of us, we're still in it, but the wine is run out. So where do you go? What do you do? Just now, as I was about to transition, I heard God say in my heart, for someone, it's been partying and getting out there and doing your thing, and you thought that was going to make you happy. And so you have partied back. You have partied hard. And it ain't doing what you thought it was going to do. The next day when you wake up, there's a part of you that wonders, what was that for? What was that about? I did it, I was there, I slept with him, I slept with her, I drank that, I did this, and the truth is, I still feel lost. Where do you go? What do you do? Who do you turn to when the wine runs out? Well, Mary turns to Jesus. Here in our text, a wedding feast is happening in Cana of Galilee. It's what we call a wedding reception. Oh, but it's not a wedding reception like any we've ever been to. Oh no, oh no, this is not an afternoon wedding reception from three to five or three to six. Oh no, this is a seven day reception. Do you hear me? A week long wedding reception. This is a party unlike any party. People come from far and near, friends and family. You just, you put on the Ritz. This is your week to be the talk of the town. This is your opportunity for everybody from far and near to ooh and ah and to celebrate your good fortune, what God has done in the life of your son or your daughter, and there are no expenses spared. It is just a party to be had, and you give people the best of everything. You're your best food, your best drink, everything that you would make you say, this is a celebration fit for a king or a queen. We honor the fact that they've done this God's way. 
And so people are having a ball all on your dime. They're just having a great time. They are eating and drinking and feasting and it's going wonderfully well until someone comes and whispers in your ear that you're running out of stuff. The wine has run out. Now initially you try to keep that cool hostess look, but you're beginning to panic. You've looked everywhere you can think for more, and it dawns on you. We don't have enough. We can't, we can't keep this party going for the full week. We're halfway through, and we don't have enough. It would be as if you invited someone out to dinner, and you told them to eat as much as they wanted, to drink as much as they wanted, to have dessert, make sure they had appetizers. You'd eaten at this place before and you recommend the filet mignon. Oh, you have just shown off. You've just shown off. You told them to get everything, that money was no option. And they believed you. Oh, yes, we have ordered everything we could think of. And conversation has been wonderful. We've been chatting, and you're feeling just awesome. And this is your opportunity to show your love and your, and your sincere desire to be with this person. And you're just having a wonderful time. You are just chatting and chewing, and things are going great until you tap your pocket and realize or look in your purse and see you don't have your wallet. And now they're about to bring out the dessert tray. Yes, and all of a sudden you've lost your appetite. <laughs> Can't quite get as hungry as you were. Just five minutes ago you were thinking about chocolate cake. Now you can't even concentrate. You can't engage the conversation in the same way. You can't enjoy the person's company in the same way. You on the inside are trying to figure out, well, do I get up? Do I go tell, do I go tell the waiter? Do I tell the maitre d'? Do I ask you? What do I do? Where do I go? Oh my God, we have ran up a bill and I don't have enough money. Well, where do you go? What do you do? Where do you turn? You don't have it and you know you don't. Well, Mary turns to Jesus. Now, it's important to note that for most of us, that is an oxymoron. Mary turns to Jesus at the party First of all, what's Jesus doing at the party? I'm glad you asked because most of us, most of us don't think of Jesus as the guy at the party. Oh no, we see Jesus at the church, we see Jesus, you know, but we don't see Jesus at a party. We have parties and we make sure we don't have Jesus at the party. We think we're not going to have a good time if Jesus is at the party. Am I talking to anybody? Ah, but the Bible says that Jesus was invited. Somebody say invited. They invited Jesus to the party. He didn't crash this party. He didn't just show up out of nowhere. They asked him to come. Preaching to somebody. I'm preaching to somebody. So often when the wine runs out, we do those hopeful things like, oh, help me, Lord, have mercy. And we kind of hope for the best. But I want to suggest to you that when a crisis happens, you'd want Jesus there. Don't hope for him to get there. Make sure that you've asked him to be there. Make sure that you've invited him already. It's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is already on the scene. It's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is already at the party. He was invited to come. 
He was asked to be there. Most of us think that Jesus is the one who spoils the party. Most of us think that Jesus is the one who causes the party to be a dud. But I want you to know ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy... Ah! There is no party until Jesus gets in there. There is no life until Jesus gets in there. There is no fun until Jesus brings it. He's the life of the party. Jesus is the party. And if you're having a party and you haven't invited Jesus, you ain't had a party until you had a party with Christ. And so Mary turns to Jesus who's at the party and she says to him, Jesus, they don't have any wine. They've run out. Now Jesus says what seems to be a rather rude response. Why are you telling me? <laughs> That's not what you expect a son of God to say. You want something a little bit more profound than, don't involve me in that stuff. It's not my time yet. It's not my kairos. It's not time, it's not right, it's not opportune for me to reveal who I really am. I'm not supposed to show the full magnitude of my power. No, it's not time. But Mary seems to have missed what he just said. Somehow she's undaunted by his response. I don't know why, but she doesn't even miss a beat. She doesn't go further in discussion. Maybe it's because she knows her son. Maybe she knows something about this God made flesh. Maybe she knows that our extremity is God's opportunity. Maybe she knows that when we get to the end of our rope, Jesus has a way of stepping in. Maybe she understands that we are, don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he's moved with compassion when we get to the end of our rope. So she just turns to the waiters and she turns to you and me and she says, do whatever he tells you. I want to submit to you that I believe that Mary was the first Nike commercial. <laughs> I believe that Nike owes Mary royalties because Mary basically said to them and to us, just do it. I think she knows that Jesus might not always do things the way we think he should, that Jesus might be unconventional, that he might be uh, non-traditional, that he might push us past our comfort zones, that he might not always make rational sense to us. So she says to us, don't debate it, just do it. Uh-huh. Don't analyze it, just do it. Uh-huh. Don't send it to committee, just do it. Uh-huh. Don't wait, just do it. Do it. Ah, don't debate, don't argue, don't think, don't fuss, don't stand back. Just do it. You might not understand it, but just, ah, just do it. Feel like preaching all of a sudden. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Even if you don't understand it, just do it. And so Jesus notices that there's some water pots. Some water pots. Huge water pots, not a small pot, 20, 30 gallon water pots. They were used for ceremonial cleansing, for washing. Now the interesting thing is that they didn't need water. And Jesus says to them, fill them up. Now what I want to say to you here is this. These folks are in crisis. They don't have a better option. And even though I don't like crisis, 
even though I don't pray for crisis and like you, I hope it doesn't come, but I can tell you something that I'm learning about crisis. Oftentimes it's crisis that forces us to recognize our need for God. Oftentimes it's a crisis that makes us pliable in the hand of God. Oftentimes it's crisis that makes us desperate enough to obey God. Amen. Up until that point, we would have argued with him. Why water, Jesus? We didn't ask you for water. We need wine. Jesus, now pardon me, but we came over here for for wine. And what does the water pots have to do with it, Jesus? We would have had a long discourse with Jesus around water because we were in a situation that we would have been able to explain to him how unnecessary the water thing was. But when you are desperate for God, ah, when you're in a crisis, you tend to be a little bit more open to the unnecessary unthinkable, a little bit more open to Jesus's possible ways of doing it because we don't have a better option. So when he says to them, fill those water pots up over there with water, they don't debate it. They just do it. They fill them up and they didn't just fill them up halfway, quarter way, partially. The Bible says that they filled them to the, to the brim. That's called radical obedience. That's called I ain't playing with God obedience. That's called if you say it, I'll do it obedience. They filled it to the brim. They said, yes, Lord, 100% yes, unequivocally yes. Yes, Lord, for the rest of my days, yes, I need you, God. That's why I love that song, you are the air I breathe, and I am desperate. So if you say fill it up, I'm not going to debate it, I'm going to do it. They filled them to the brim. And now Jesus pushes the envelope even further. Now Jesus pushes them past their place of comfort because they've gone a stretch to fill it up with water. And now he says, I want you to draw some out and take it to your boss. The same boss that sent these waiters scurrying for wine. Take it to him. Now right there, some of us would have lost our miracle. Right there, some of us would have said, you know, Jesus, I've been trying to obey you, but right here I draw the line. You know I could get in trouble? Do you know I could lose my job? Do you know what you're asking me to do, Jesus? Our boss didn't send us over here for water. He sent us for wine. We can't take him water. He'll have our heads. And I want to tell you something, my friends. I'm beginning to understand that fear is often the thing that keeps us from obeying God. It's not our lack of faith. It's not the fact that we say, oh, Lord, please give me more faith. I think the real prayer is, Lord, please help me manage my fears. When Jesus talked to the disciples, about their lack of faith. He didn't say, why didn't you believe me? Why didn't you doubt me? He said to them, oh ye of little faith, why were you afraid? Hallelujah. The opposite of faith, I'm not sure if it's doubt. I'm beginning to believe that the opposite of faith is fear. Fear of what might happen to us. 
fear of what we might lose. I might not get married if I trust Jesus. I might lose my job. I might not have enough money if I choose to trust Jesus. What do you mean giving the offering? I can't give in the offering. I got to pay my bills. Get out of here. Jesus, I would, but this could really cost me too much. I can't do that. But when you're desperate, somebody say desperate. When you're at the end of your rope and you don't have a better option, trusting Jesus ain't a bad idea. So they decide to go for it. What do they have to lose? They can't fix the situation. They've done everything they humanly could do, and so have we. We've done everything we know to do. We've tried everything we know to try, and now I'm suggesting let's give Jesus a shot. Yeah, amen. <laughs> and so they begin the journey of faith. They take that cup of water, and I want to say to you that they are not walking with confidence and strength. Their knees are knocking and their hand is shaking. I want you to know that sometimes faith just ain't pretty. Amen. Sometimes you're not cool and collected when you're walking by faith. Amen. We are called to walk by faith, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to be scared. Somebody said to me when I was dealing with a difficult situation, she said to me, I want you to know, Brenda, that the definition of faith is this. Faith is fear that has said its prayers. And so... We hear what Jesus has told us to do. And we remember that Mary has already warned us, just do it. So we take him at his word. And every step from here to there is a step of faith. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't understand how he's going to do it. We are trembling and our knees are knocking. Our hand is shaking and our teeth are chattering. But we're still putting one foot in front of the other by faith. We're still believing that God said do it. And so we're walking over there. And I want you to know that somewhere between here and there, a miracle takes place. Somewhere between yes, Lord, a miracle takes place. Somewhere between I go a miracle takes place somewhere between send me a miracle takes place hallelujah I don't know how it happened I don't know when it happened but by the time they got to where they were going the water had become talk to me why they gave it to their boss I don't know how much was left in the cup <laughs> but they gave it to their boss and now they say here and he says what is this and they're probably about to blame Jesus <laughs> you know yo man it was Jesus man look we went over there looking for wine they're probably like all right look we'll just we, we, we quit we don't have to and he says this is fantastic this is amazing this is incredible. And that's what faith is like. You turn, you think, it is? He did it? Oh my God. They knew what had happened. Jesus, Jesus. And so he said, where did, where did it come from? Go get the bridegroom, let me talk to him. So they call the bridegroom and they say, he said to them, 
to that bridegroom, you, oh, you, you a tricky guy. Oh, dude, man, you, you are something else. You made us think we had nothing less, nothing more left. You tricked us, you, you are a sly guy. You know what, most folks, the way they do it, they bring out their best stuff first, yeah. When they're trying to impress everybody, when everybody's paying attention, they do their best stuff when everybody's looking. And then after a while, when people have uh, calmed down and their sensibilities are not quite as keen, they've drunk too much and they're not quite as discriminating, then they bring out cheap stuff. But you have flipped the script. You have set this thing on its head. You switched it. You, you brought out your best stuff last. You saved your best till now. And I'm here to tell you, my brothers and my sisters, that Jesus is still in the wine, water to wine changing business. He is still, even to this day, working miracles. He is still to this day, saving the best till now. Oh yes, oh yes. I know you think that you've partied and you are the partiest party, but you ain't partied yet because Jesus ain't brought the best stuff out yet. Oh, Jesus says, oh, just come on and switch with me because you've already brought out your best stuff, but I haven't even begun to work in your life. You think I'm not doing anything? I'm about to best your best. I'm about to do beyond anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. You think this marriage is over and there's nothing else I can do? Oh, give me a break. You ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, I'm able to be the one who comes into a situation if you'll do what I tell you and you'll feel as if you're a teenager again. Oh, watch what I'll do because I do something with people who obey what I say. Just do it and then watch if I don't save the best till now. Oh yeah, you've been tired of ministry and you're not sure if you want to stay in it yet, but let me tell you something. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. It hasn't even entered into your imagination and you've been dreaming a lot of things. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus says you haven't even begun to dream about the things I've prepared for you. Oh, Jesus says I'm about to reveal the best now. 50 years old and you feel like you're done, or 30 years old and you feel like, oh, well. And Jesus says, give me a break. I haven't even got started yet. I'm here to say to you in this church, and this is really why I believe Jesus sent me this weekend, I want you to know that you're a great congregation, one of the best in the country, and I mean that, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, no. Oh, no. You haven't seen anything yet. Oh, no. You think Jesus has already brought out his best wine? Oh, no. Oh, no. You brought out your best stuff, and it was nice. Oh, ho, ho, ho. but Jesus has got some stuff in the back room. My God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he's about to blow your mind. He's about to absolutely flip the script. He's going to surprise you and amaze you. You're going to wonder, what is this? Where did this come from? How did this happen? And you're going to know we're not this good. We're not 
this good. The bridegroom knew I had nothing to do with this. This is a miracle. And you'll be able to say we have become who God called us to be, not because we were worthy, not because we were smart enough. Jesus showed up. He turned water into wine in here. My God. He transformed this place. He transformed this place. He made it what he said it was going to be. And we give him all the glory because Jesus has turned water into wine. And so here's what the punchline. You ready? Jesus wants to do incredible things in Woodland Hills Church. I promise you that's true. And it's going to require your obedience. Period. End of sentence. Whatever Jesus is about to do in your life and in this church, it's going to require radical obedience. Greg, fill it to the brim. The old folk used to say it like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You must talk to me. Trust and obey. Stand to your feet. I'm through. Hallelujah to Jesus because he's worthy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may not remember everything I preached today, and that's all right, but I pray that when people ask you what was the sermon about today, I hope you tell them radical obedience. Amen. I hope you tell him radical obedience. That's what Jesus asked me to come here and ask you to give him. Radical obedience. When you leave this place, hear Mary telling you, just do it. Just do it. All heads bowed. All eyes closed. You might be here today and you're a candidate for a miracle. Hallelujah. you know that you're at the end of your rope and it doesn't mean that life's bad it doesn't mean that your marriage is failing it doesn't mean that you just hate your job but you can sense that there's something more and you brought out your best stuff already you've given it your best shot and you're wondering if there's more and so right now if you don't mind, especially if you're, if you're uh, I'm, I'm watching people walk, so if you'll do that, but, but those of you who are not walking, please don't move. Just for a minute, honor God's presence, because God's talking to some people in here, and it's a life-changing moment for them. I can tell you for sure I'm talking to somebody. And if you're here and you sense God is about to do something, I can sense it and I want to say yes to it. And you're saying, God, I hear you telling me that you want to take me to another level, something more, and it requires my obedience. And in this day, I hear that and I say yes. If you want to just raise your hand, not for me, but as a symbol before you and God that you hear him talking to you. That's really the only reason I ask for that. It's so that you can make some some motion that says to Jesus, I hear you talking to me. And I'm more concerned about making this connection with you than I am about what Brenda says or what people think. And your hand is saying, Jesus, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm the one you're talking to. And yes, you've nailed me dead to right. 
God bless you guys. Your faith is in this room, and I sense it. And I bless you for your faith. I bless you for your faith. Hallelujah. There's such faith in this room. And I tell you, like Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood who was desperate, he said, your faith has made you whole. <laughs> and I bless your faith this morning. And I say to you, in the name of Jesus, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Restoration comes to the house of God, for your faith has made you whole. You can lay your hands down, keep worshiping, keep praying. But if you're here this morning and you've never invited Jesus to the party, you've been trying to go it alone and you've never consciously said, Jesus, I want you in my life. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you before I leave. If you'd raise your hand, that would let me know how many people I'm praying with before I go. No fanfare, no coercion. If you sense, you know what, I've been on a journey and I sense it's leading me to Christ. If you'd simply acknowledge that by raising your hand, I'll pray for you before I leave. Anybody here like that? God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. You're making a decision to let Jesus be the Lord and you're consciously inviting him in. Anybody else? The back of the room? God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand in the back. God bless you. Yes, all the way by the wall, I see your hand. People of God all over this room, would you just repeat after me for the people who've just raised their hand, every person praying, Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you in. I open the door of my life and I say, make your home in me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that I have unsurpassable worth. Now, Lord God, I ask you, make me the person you want me to be. I'll follow you, knees knocking, hands shaking, but I say yes for the rest of my life. Help me to follow you for I ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.